Hello and welcome to the Maine Question Podcast from the University of Maine. I'm your host, Ron Lisnett, and this is episode two of our ninth season and our second go-round in this new studio space we have. We're particularly excited for this episode, which has been in the works for a long time now. It's almost too much to cram into one episode, but we're going to give it a try. So think about some of the most intractable problems in our world today. How to produce clean energy, find affordable housing, make the manufacturing process more sustainable and green, build longer lasting roads and bridges, revive the forest products industry. All of these issues are overwhelming and extremely challenging on their own. Now imagine taking on these challenges simultaneously. That is the mission of the Advanced Structures and Composite Center at the University of Maine. It occupies an immense space on the east side of campus and within those walls, state-of-the-art work is happening in all those areas and much more. As you walk through the space, there are projects, tests, and experiments happening in every corner. It's almost too much to take in at once. The ASCC, as it's known, has too many achievements and milestones to list for you here. More than 200 patents, 15 spin-off companies, 500 partners around the globe. But perhaps their biggest accomplishment is the 2,600 students who have worked at the ASCC. They've gone on to start their own companies, work in industry, and fill the vast need for engineers and other professions that Maine needs in order to grow the economy and prosper. And with that, we welcome in our guest today. Habib Dagri came to UMaine in 1986 and became the founding director of the ASCC 10 years later. In the early days, much of the work combined composite materials with wood for smaller bridges and similar size projects. From that humble beginning, the center has grown and evolved to take on some of the biggest, most pressing issues of our day. Well, welcome. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're, you're awfully busy and, and we're, we're really excited to talk to you. I mean, there, there's so many directions we could go, but um, maybe just tell us the, the evolution of all this. Uh, when I first got to the university, this was fall 1993, um, I was told I'm going to go shoot a project in North Byron, Maine with uh, somebody named Habib Dogger. And you look the same as you did back then, by the way. Which you're, is, you're very kind. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't changed either. So. Oh, thank you very much. But uh, just so just talk about, you know, fall 1993, we were doing composite bridges. What was your vision at the time? And how does it compare to what, what's going on now with the SEC? Thank you. The, our goal has been uh, all along is to add value to our largest natural resources in Maine. As you know, Maine is the most heavily forested state in the U.S. And, and, and adding value to the resource while we protect it and developing the leaders that would actually develop these technologies has been the mission from, from, from the beginning. So when we started working on composite or wood bridges, glue-land bridges, was for the same reason. And, and that, that idea kind of grew to how do we look at more, more, op, more applications than just bridges. Yeah. Right. So. So you grew up in Lebanon, yeah. uh, a long way away from a heavily forested area, certainly. Just talk about where you came from. How did you get interested in these topics? Why this direction as opposed to building a building or some other type of engineering? Sure. Well, I came to the University of Maine as a faculty member 37 years ago. Uh, so that was a long time, and I'm hoping for 37 more. Right. This is a wonderful institution. Um, and and uh, my goal was to... Um, come into the structural engineering program and add value um, to the program and grow it. And, and uh, living in Maine, you recognize right away that 
Um, we are heavily forested. That's our biggest natural resource. And at the time, uh, we were not really using it effectively. You know, we've used, we had a lot of products, but we're also chipping logs. Uh, that we're shipping hemlock logs uh, in a port from a Portland seaport, um, uh, completely raw logs. A and uh, once I asked somebody near the Portland seaport, "What are you? Uh, wh what are these logs here? As, as high as you could see and as long as you could see?" And the person says, "I don't know. We're just shipping the logs to some to overseas for someone to do something with them, make something with them, and sell it back to us." And that's really not what we need to do to protect our natural resources and add value to them. And that's that was the impetus to really make, do something different. And, and figure out how to add value to these resources, protect them at the same time, and educate the leaders. So we p put a proposal into the National Science Foundation, there was four of us at the time, to create the center to add value to this resource. Uh, fast forward to today, we've grown from the four people, now to 411 people who work in the center. Wow. Uh, we're, we're today the largest university-based research center in Maine. And we're still adding value to our natural resources. We're looking at wood and wood-based wood materials, but also the ocean. The ocean is another, the biggest other natural resource in Maine. So how do we add value to, 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 the, to, our, uh, to the wood and to the ocean is really what the center looks, is, is looking to do. And, and, uh, and uh, we've put together a strategic plan in 2020. We call it GEM. And that stands for green energy and materials. So our goal is to bring green energy and materials to society. Uh, and to educate the leaders who will take these technologies and implement them in society. So. You're exploring such a wide range of topics, everything from uh, you know outer space to nanocellulose, you know, to the smallest uh, art particle that you could possibly imagine. But the common theme, like you said, forestry and ocean. I mean, that weaves through no matter what project you're in. That's that's the basis. That's correct. It's really how do we add value to these resources and protect them and, and, and educate the leaders uh, that will uh, develop these technologies. So um, we've, um, we also have two very important values in, the, in addition to our GEM, if you wish, uh, vision. And, and the values are students first. Uh, and our goal is to take students out of the classroom and put them in an environment where they can work together in teams. And, and, uh, and we've had students from over 35 academic departments on campus uh, come and work in the laboratory. Over 2,700 interns, they get paid to work. The students can work up to 30 hours a week during the academic year and get paid to do that, and full-time in the summer and the breaks. So by the time an undergrad graduates from our lab, they've had over two years of full-time experience. And that is invaluable. They learn how to work together in teams. They learn how to appreciate each other and their others' disciplines, understand them. And that's how we're going to solve big problems, by working together across disciplines. So that's students first is one of our uh, core, core if, if you wish, values. And the other value is none of us is as smart as all of us. And, and it's really how do we all work together to solve the big problems that society is, is facing. And, 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 and the big problems we're trying to solve right now, uh, specific projects, are our energy system. How do we uh, electrify our heating and transportation systems in the state of Maine? Uh, and the other big one is the housing crisis that we're, we're faced with right now using additive manufacturing. So those are two of the big projects, if you wish, that we work on. So. All right. I want to ask you about the students a little later in workforce development. We'll get to that. But um, there's been so many milestones and breakthroughs. We, we talked about some of them in the, in the intro, 200, more than 200 patents, 15 spin-off companies, uh, partners around the globe, about 500 or so. What stands out to you about the accomplishments or milestones or anything that the ASCC has been able to do? I think the most important piece is the 2,700 students okay. that interned in our laboratory. 
and uh, and every one of those has, has at least one job offer on the way out. Uh, and it's really transforming um, uh, their education is really what we're about here at this University of Maine. And of course, all the other things are exciting as well, particularly, um, you know, we've just uh, uh, last summer, uh, Governor Mills uh, signed into law a bill to procure 3,000 megawatts of floating offshore wind technology. Um, uh, and had we not done the research for 15 years, that would not have happened. Right. And that's about a eight to $10 billion construction project over 15 years in Maine that would transform uh, the way we use energy in the state. So seeing that also happen and having the students be involved, if you wish, in that journey um, is, is very rewarding to all of us. And so, yeah. so uh, let's dig into some of the, the topic areas that, yeah. that we've been discussing. Might as well start with offshore wind. Sure. How do you describe to someone that knows nothing about this, though, or what, what it is or how it works or anything, what is the project, what is the potential, what is the opportunity? Sure. Uh, as you know, um, in Maine, uh, we, we spend more than $5 billion per year uh, buying fossil fuels, heating oil and gasoline and so forth. That leaves the state uh, as a whole. And, and when we burn that, of course, that, this, that doesn't do any good for the environment. So uh, we embarked on a, on a mission to figure out other natural resources in Maine that we could use to, to, to heat our homes and drive our cars. And what we found out 15 years ago that within 50 miles of the coast of Maine, there's enough offshore wind capacity that's equivalent to 156 nuclear power plants and just sitting out there. And uh, so that, that is the largest untapped natural resource that Maine has had. So we're very energy rich, we're just not using that energy. So we've embarked on a mission to do that. The, the big technical challenge is we have very deep waters. So, um, so basically, um, uh, you have to float the turbines uh, in order to do that. So, so we've been researching ways to float turbines that could be fabricated in a port and towed out beyond the horizon uh, that would bring energy back to the state of Maine. So think about a fixed-bottom wind turbine that you see on, on shore. Take that and float it in the ocean um, uh, 30 miles or 40 miles offshore, uh, and that's what we're, we're designing and building. So, and these are made from concrete, the, the base of these, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, uh, me with my uh, 11th grade physics uh, knowledge, concrete doesn't float. Yeah. But but you guys have figured out a way to make that happen. That's that's the basis of, of what these uh, turbines are, are, are sitting on? Yes, the hull are made with floating concrete systems, and, and, and they float, the concrete floats, because really we're using concrete cans, we call them flotation columns, essentially. Okay. Uh, each hull has three concrete flotation columns, and it works like a catamaran, but it, we call it a trimaran. So if, you've, if you sail the catamaran, it has two hulls, and the bigger the hull is, the more stable the cat is. The farther apart the hulls are, the more stable the, the catamaran is. So ours is a trimaran, it has three hulls. Uh, and uh, and each one of them is a concrete can. So if you took a if you make a a, a wine barrel sized concrete can, that'll float too because it's got air in it. So what really make, makes it float is the air, not the concrete. So right, three thousand megawatts is that's what you talked about is sort of the the next big goal. How much energy is that? How much uh, it does it take to power the state of Maine, for example? Yeah, that's very close to what it takes to power the state of Maine. But we're not going to use it to. To, to use it for turning the lights on or the, uh, at night, or but we want to use that to really uh, stop burning fossil fuels in our cars and, and stop using heating oil to heat our homes or natural gas. So basically, we're going to use that to electrify heating and transportation. So to use heat pumps 
driven by electricity to heat our homes, and many many people know how heat pumps work. But now, if the electricity to to run the heat pumps is 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 comes from offshore wind, it's like offshore wind heating your home. And then, if electric cars, of course, is is are the future right now. And and then, if if the offshore wind is filling up the car for us at night, then offshore wind is driving us up and down I-95. And that's where we're heading. We're heading to using the 3,000 megawatts to heat our home and drives our car and, and reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. The next big topic area, um, housing. Yes. About a year ago, you printed the first bio-based 3D printed home. Take us through that and where where's that headed? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we printed what we call BioHome 3D. It's a it's a it's a 600 square foot one bedroom home that meets all the requirements of Maine state housing. The issue we're facing in Maine is, and in other parts of the country, is that um, um, we need a lot of homes and it costs too much right now. There's no there's not too many people to build them. So in Maine we don't have the labor to build the homes. Uh, anybody trying to go even renovate a house or renovate a bathroom, they know they can't find people. Uh, so plus the cost of materials have skyrocketed. Uh, plywood and OSB, if you go by and buy them, they, and two-by-fours, they've grown so much because of the pandemic and the supply chain. So materials cost too much. We don't have enough people to build the home. So as a result of that, we have a crisis. So our, our, our idea was, uh, working with the Maine State Housing Authority, is could we use wood waste, which we have lots of in Maine, to help print a home? Now, um, uh, in, in, uh, in wood waste is basically um, is, is the waste from the sawmills, we call that, that wood residuals. So when you saw a log, a lot of it doesn't make the grade. So that material used to be sent to the pulp and paper mills, but we had uh, five pulp and paper mills in Maine shut down in one year. So that material now uh, has, has to find a place to go. It's, a, it's about a, a million tons of uh, wood residuals in our in our sawmills in the region every year okay that's enough to produce a hundred thousand homes and we're not going to of course use it all to print homes so we're taking this wood waste which is a crisis we have and we're taking the housing crisis which is another crisis we have putting the two together and creating an opportunity so and that's what this the, the vision here is and and by printing the home versus stick building the home we, we deal with the with the uh, labor crisis that we have. So if we can have machines and engineers producing the homes, and and, and that's where BioHome 3D was born, is is to do that. So we're partnered with the Maine State Housing right now and, and, and others in the state. Um, so just in about 15 minutes, we're going to have the, the housing committee from the legislature will be in our lab to look at BioHome 3D for the first time. So, wow. yeah. so it's a win-win-win. It's, it, it is. And, and, and then, uh, so what we're trying to do is... Um, also uh, develop an environmentally uh, sustainable construction method. Um, so we're printing with wood versus printing with, with concrete. Others are trying to print with concrete. but we're, And the difference in our technology is that we're printing the whole house, the roof, the floor, the walls, uh, whereas the concrete folks are only printing the walls, and they still stick build everything else. But in our technology, we're really uh, printing everything. Um, and uh, we're prefabricating the home in a, in a factory. That's what that's the plan is. And take it in modules and then put it back together on site. So almost everything in our society is built on uh, petroleum products and plastics. It's, it's in everything, as we know. Um, how do you make that shift when it's ba baked into our way of life and jobs and, and everything out there? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a challenge, I would imagine. It is. It's a challenge, and that's the challenge that our, our GEM uh, 
a strategic plan really uh, wants us to solve, right? That's where, that's where we want to go. Um, so in the housing components, I'll give you, give you an example. This, this BioHome 3D that we printed has, about, has 30% less carbon footprint than a typical home when, when, when you build it um, from a, during the construction process. It's 100% recyclable. So our children and grandchildren 200 years from now can take the house, grind it up, and put it back through the printer. We have a master's degree students right now doing that five times. So they're recycling the house five times to figure out how the material properties change. So think about if each time is 200 years of use, that's 1,000 years of reuse that we're looking at for these material systems. So we're thinking that way. We're developing technologies to allow us to do that. And everything it took to build this house was a naturally grown material. So we, if, as we grow more trees and sustainably, uh, and um, and as the plan is, and develop bioresins that we use ink, then 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 uh, everything we, we we have is a grown is a, is grown in a plant or, or or in a tree of some sort some some form of plant or and, tree. So it's sustainable. Problem, yeah, problems go away like PFAS and other uh, you know harmful chemicals and substances. Yeah, certainly there's no PFAS in in in, in this of course this technology and the the other. Also, that's a piece that's very important is reducing the waste. If you look at a stick-built home right now, there's a lot of truckloads that go to the dump just because you're cutting out the windows and the doors. In our case, you don't have to cut them out. We, we print the openings for the windows and the doors, exactly what we need, so we don't have to uh, take and waste that, those materials. So we're, we're, our goal is to get to near zero waste uh, during the, the fabrication and construction of the house. That's Talk to us about the, you mentioned the gem concept. I know there's a, a building in the works. What what will be in that building? What What's going to go on in there? And, and where is that project uh, yeah. right now? Yeah, gem was another one of our moonshots in essence. The, this this facility is, uh, is called the factory of the future, a research factory of the future. Uh, it, it is to to figure out how to scale up these manufacturing technologies for biohome 3D and also for for boat building that we've we've printed a boat as you know three years ago. So how do we take these technologies and 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 scale up the production processes? That's a lot of science and engineering that goes back through that. And uh, so the goal of this facility is figure out how to scale up the production of biohome 3D and the production of of housing. So it's got two bays. One's a housing bay. One's is a boat building bay, and the research bay. And students and faculty and staff are going to be able to work together to scale up those technologies. So we break ground next uh, the summer uh, with this with this, and and it's also we've we formed a relationship with, with the new college, main college of engineering and, and, and computing, MCEC. So so uh, th- we bring in engineering and computing together because. Uh, our, th- this will be a smart factory uh, using digital manufacturing. And, and as, as we're printing a home, for example, or fabricating a home or a boat, we're scanning that as we go uh, along the way. And if everything is about to go wrong, something's going to go wrong, going to go off dimensions, is gonna, uh, then, then we will know right away uh, using the sensors. And using AI, we'll be able to go back and fix it before, before the problem really happens. That's where we're heading with a technology like this. We call it a closed-loop manufacturing process. And think about the students and the staff and the faculty in engineering and computing uh, working together uh, to try to solve some of these tough problems. Yeah. And, and that gets to something that uh, I've often thought about, in that Maine traditionally is always at the tail end of the pipeline. You know, we have to import all the oil and gas we have. Uh, no, no way to generate our own energy. And but this is a project, the offshore wind also, and and manufacturing homes that relies on local resources that sort of turns that 180 degrees around. So Maine is now a generator and a, uh, you know, outputting and getting the economic benefit from from all these ideas. 
Absolutely. And, and uh, if you look at, we talked about offshore wind, we spend five plus billion dollars per year. That's more than a state annual budget in, in buying, uh, buying gasoline and fossil fuels in the state of Maine. If we can keep most of that here in Maine and, and uh, build this infrastructure and maintain it, the fuel's free. So, so that, you're right. This is, this is a direction we're heading. Plus, the, the impact on the environments are enormous in terms of uh, uh, benefits from not putting uh, 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 CO2 in the, in the air. And, and the housing piece as well. Now, if we can grow everything we build our homes with and recycle it, uh, here in Maine, we have natural resources to do that. So, and that gets back to the gem, which is green energy and materials, right? These are the materials for the home are green, the energy is green, and that's really where we're heading. So. And what's the timeline? When will this uh, factory of the future be up and running, you hope? Uh, yeah, uh, we, uh, we hope to break, break ground this August with the facility and to have it up and running two years later. So it takes about two years to get it up and running. So in 2026, we should have it up and running. Um, we also partnered already with um, uh, some, um, with for example, Panquist, which is a, a, a non-for-profit organization that, that um, uh, focuses on housing in our area. And we're going to, the first thing we'll do with GEM is, is uh, print nine homes for the homeless uh, and prove that you could do that to help scale up the technology. So One thing I've always been curious about, you're an engineer, yeah. so if I need to answer a calculus question or anything like that, I come to you. But so many of the projects and so many of the initiatives you're talking about involve politics, uh, economics, uh, sociology, psychology. Um, how do you navigate through some of that? Did you ever think you were going to have to um, you know, exercise that part of your brain as much as you've had to, to, to wade through some of the things that, to get where you want to go? I think the key here is bringing people together. And as you know, the, the center, I tell everybody, is a non-denominational. In other words, anybody can come and work from across campus. So we've had over 35 different disciplines, like you said, economics, policy, uh, 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 business, engineering, uh, communications. So we have people uh, that have expertise in all the areas. The students and their staff and the faculty have come together to help solve these problems. And that's why working together is so important. So uh, I learn every day. I learn from everyone that we, we, we work with and, 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 uh, and we've learned how to work together. It took you know, 27 years the center has started and, and we've learned how to do that. We've learned how to work together across disciplines and, 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 uh, and we keep learning every day. Right. So, yeah. um, uh, one other uh, sort of uh, idea that you know, we I have so many here to get to, but uh, roads, bridges. Yeah. I mean, that's another area you're working on. I know there's the bridge in a backpack. Yeah. Um, huge part yeah. of keeping yeah. an economy and a state going, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our roads and bridges are um, falling apart across the country and uh, and, and in, the, in Maine as well because of the corrosion of, of the steel that we have and on the road. So we have an initiative to um, to have more durable bridges. Um, and uh, one of our next big projects uh, is happening as we speak. It's the bridge coming into Orono after you take I-95 over the Stillwater River. Uh, and that's going to be close to a 500-foot-long bridge uh, designed using technology developed in our center. And it's going to be a sh it's going to be kind of a, a welcome to to the, to Orono, welcome to University of Maine Bridge, uh, that is designed to be corrosion free. So we, we instead of having to rebuild these bridges every forty or fifty years, our goal is to see can we double and triple that. Um, and uh, you know when you think about uh, it is a the Romans um, uh, have aqueducts that they built two thousand years ago that we're still using. Uh, you think we should be able to do a bit better, more better than uh, replacing our bridges every generation? So, uh, and at the main DOT and, and other DOTs across the countries are are on the same page. We've been working very closely with them. They're great partners. They understand that 
and, and what's very interesting is that the older engineers who, 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 are, who are leaving right now, the DOTs, saying, wait a minute, I'm replacing the bridge I designed 40 years ago. That's not right. right. So they're coming to us. Actually, the, the chief engineer from the main DOT joined a spin-off company that we had from the university, specifically uh, so they can he can uh, develop the next generation of materials that will will last longer. So, uh, so so it's a uh, so it's it's a, it's good to see that people are coming together to help solve some of these tough problems. Yeah. So let's get back just real briefly to the the students that you're putting yeah. out, yeah. workforce, yes. uh, filling you know labor needs. I mean, Maine is in desperate need, like a lot of places, for the, the next generation to come along. In, in some ways, that's maybe your your greatest uh, output or greatest product, right? Absolutely. So, as I've said, what I'm most proud of is we've had over 2,700 interns. Uh, that have worked in this lab from 35 different academic departments. That's an army of people who are going out to the workforce and really taking these ideas and what they've learned in this lab and applying them in society. That's the best output that we have. And, and the factory of the future, the GEM factory of the future research factory, is going to bring more of those students together uh, from from engineering, from computing together, to, to, to come and solve problems together. And and that's the best thing we can give the students. Not only what they learn in the books, but what they learn by working together, what they learn by appreciating each other, by appreciating other people's disciplines and understanding, wow, I, I need an electrical engineer, I need a business student, I need a communication student, because that's the only way it's going to work. And they learn that at the university for four years. And that's the best ticket that we give them going into the workforce. Final question. Uh, yeah. We always like to ask this, uh, some version of this. If Take us out five, ten years, or whatever time horizon you'd like. What are we going to see? What are we, what, what, what are we going to be amazed and, and surprised about out there, um, whether it's in the water or on land? Certainly, um, being able to have floating turbines, you know, at the end of the decade in the Gulf of Maine, producing electricity that could be used to heat our homes and drive our cars is one of the biggest goals that we have going forward. So we're working very diligently to make that happen. So, um, so I would say floating turbines that we can go visit one day with a, with, a, with a vessel and say, look what we've done. We have not, we have, we, we're using our own energy, uh, clean environment, all fabricated in Maine is really what we'd like to be able to see. On the housing side, we'd like to be able to see more homes being uh, produced here to help serve our society. Uh, there was a report last week that came out that we that the, uh, the state of Maine needs nearly 80,000 housing units by 2030. 80,000. There's not enough people to build them all. So hopefully by the, by before the end of the decade, we'd have a factory here in Maine producing some of these homes using 3D printed bio-based materials. I'd like to see, see that happen. So, yeah. Great. Well, I, we could do a, an episode on, on all of these topics, and maybe maybe we will down, down the road <laughs> sure. here as these things develop. But I want to thank you so much for taking the thank time. You, been, thank you. Thank you. We've been wanting to talk to you a long time, and it's finally happened, so we're Th excited. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be with you. <laughs> thank you for all the work you do. Yeah. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode. You can find the audio version of all of our podcasts on Apple and Google, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and the University of Maine website. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to Maine Question at maine.edu. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.